Hello and welcome to uh, one of our special, you know, history podcasts that we like to do to try and share a little bit of the knowledge that we have about the game. Uh, this is Steve Sutherland coming to you alongside Julian Amarante with Bella Hutman's Curse. Uh, this week's episode is uh, is a little bit different than than what we've done in the past. Uh, we've never really taken a huge focus on on South America, and when we do. We usually talk about Brazil or Argentina, but there are other countries that have major footballing histories uh, to them. Uh, and today, Julian is going to bring you uh, probably one of the, I don't want to say lesser known derbies, but one of the lesser talked about derbies. So, uh, Julian, why don't you uh, introduce your topic this week? Yeah, uh, I'm really, really excited about speaking about this. Um, I, I want to say from the beginning, beginning Esther. Este podcast está dedicado a mi hermano de Montevideo, Federico Lemos. Espero que estés escuchando, okay? So, uh, what I wanted to say is that, um, you know, um, Uruguay is flanked by the powerhouses of Brazil and Argentina. And Uruguay has always shared their passion for football, but it never really garnered the recognition that it deserves. So this is going to be a discussion not just so much about uh, month, uh, uh, the 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 classical Uruguayo, but it's also going to be about Uruguayan football in in, in general. Um, you know, I, I actually say that Uruguay uh, is the uh, Rodney Dangerfield of football. They never get any respect. Okay, and this is sad because the first World Cup was won by Uruguay in 1930. The second, uh, actually, the previous two, the first three World Cups essentially were won by Uruguay, and then there's of course the one in 1950. But, you know, in the ensuing 80 so years, uh, the South American neighbors of Argentina and, and Brazil have established as, as the giants, leaving Uruguay in its wake. But that's not even fair, okay? Because to the novice, so the fair weather football fan, they would, they would think that Uruguay is this little, little country. And instead, it's quite reversed. Uruguay is literally a powerhouse. To those who are unaware of football, uh, Uruguay is the university of football, if you ask me. Um, they had a low period in the 1990s, but, uh, and, you know, it was really, really bad. I was seeing the late 80s until about, until about the mid-2000s, but they still kept producing players. Um, one of the things about Uruguay is it's a small country, and what's unbelievable about Uruguay is that football was fundamental to the nation, building of the nation. It really was. Um now they, they call they're called Les Celeste because of the the, the the jersey. They have recently enjoyed something of a renaissance. They won the Copa America in 2011. Uh, they finished fourth in the 2000 World uh, 2010 World Cup in South Africa, and uh, you know this little enchanting country remains curiously underreported. I say by the global footballing media. Uh, for example. You know, when the super classical between River and Boca in Buenos Aires comes around, you know, rest assured there'll be hundreds of articles that come out about previewing the world's ultimate derby. But what about this Montevideo own superstar fully, uh, uh, football fixture? Okay. And, uh, you know, I actually, I think, gave you one side Pengetel jersey, didn't I not? With the. And it's funny, what number did it have on the back? It doesn't have a number on the back. Yeah, number five, I think. I don't think so. I don't think it has a number on the back. Anyways, Bangarol is, uh, well, we'll get into this, okay? The classical Uruguay, the super classical Uruguay, 
uh, does not receive the coverage of some of, uh, of other the other footballing rivalries, which, by the way, this is the first of we're going to be talking about footballing rivalries uh, as, as time goes on. But this rivalry undoubtedly deserves its place in the pantheon of the biggest derbies, okay? It's between Club Nacional at Montevideo versus Club Atlético Peñarol, uh, and it's the oldest footballing rivalry outside the British Isles, okay? And it's captured some of the most unforgettable and entertaining games in Uruguayan football history. We're not going to get so much into that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of give a bit of a brief overview. Peñarol were founded in 1891 by British railroad workers in Montevideo, going by the name of the Central Uruguayan Railway, uh, Railway Cricket Club, of all things, until it became wholly Uruguayan in 1913. They decided on the club colors of yellow and black, which were the cautionary signals for the railway workers at the time. Nacional were founded in eight years later in 1899, becoming the first ever South American club to be set up by the people from the continent as opposed to expatriates. Okay, And that's really important in this discussion. Peñarol embraced their image as the gringos, while Nacional were viewed as more as an elite institution. Okay. It was the emergence of these two clubs in Uruguay that encouraged a love of football throughout the nation with clubs such as Wanderers, Universal, Central, and get this one, Danubio, okay? Paying homage to the Danubian school, okay? Uh, but the Montevideo rivalry has basically formed the backdrop for the spreading of the game throughout this little tiny country of only 3 million people, okay? Between 1860 and 1920, Uruguay essentially saw this mass influx of immigration from Europe, mostly from Italy and Spain. But here's where it becomes beautiful. It's a mixed race population, okay? And this is key to the composition of, of the country, which, you know, it comes up with the term of the Gara Charua, right? Which goes back to the, the Charua uh, indigenous people. But the, the country's population is a mixture of you're Southern European immigrants from Italy and Spain, uh, indigenous African slaves, also predominantly from Eastern Europe as well. So you have this really interesting kind of hybrid over there. The national football team, uh, it, it basically comes to life in 1994 Olymp 1924 Olympics. Uh, and they begin, that's one of the major influences of football to France, to almost the rest of Europe, right? And, and really, though, it, I got to say, it's the Italian influence, okay? Peroni, Scarone, Romano, Narcisi, they all starred in that World Cup. And it showed that at the early stages of Uruguayan football, the sport acted as a unifier, a great instrument of integration, whereby footballers would climb the social ladder and express themselves. I mean, this was evident in, in, in particularly this Nacional Peñarol derby, which flourishes, and you see talent, like... Even one of the guys, uh, which you must ask, I, I must ask this question now, it's maybe premature, but Diego Forlan at your club. Why was Diego Forlan never really embraced at Manchester United? I don't think he wasn't embraced. Like, let's face it, he did score that, like, that, he's well known for the double that he scores against Liverpool, right? Uh, totally, yeah. Like, it's, very, yeah. very, like, there's, there's definitely a love for him still at the, at the club, so... I wouldn't say that he wasn't embraced, but I would say Manchester United has not ever had um, the greatest luck with bringing players from South America. From South America. Yeah. We, we've seen it. Uh, it, it uh, Ferguson didn't ever really 
you know, the players never really produced yeah, for him. At yeah, that point. well, he, and he always had a kind of like he had a bias towards players from the British Isles. He loved the hard muckers, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, and can you can you? I, I don't want to say no. you can't blame him for that because like he won championships with those players, right? So, but Uruguay had muckers too, man. That's the thing. Uruguay is not like as the high hout uh, Brazilian Jogo Bonito or, or Argentinian, you know, La Nuestra. They actually are gritty. You know, they'll they'll spit in your face if they have to. You know, there was uh, Paulo Montero, who was the defender for uh, uh, um, Juventus, still holds uh, the record for red cards in Italy. Uh, the 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 gag was that he would actually carry a knife. Uh, with him, they, this is what they're known for, right? Like in, in Uruguayan players, like Luisito has, like clearly there are players that have found success in England. Yeah, uh, like notably Luis Suarez has found incredible success, and, and, and hatred too. Uh, you know, yeah, and we like that's. I think that's a topic for another podcast for sure. To, for sure, to talk about that very specific incident and yeah. how he was treated versus and, 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 how John Terry was treated. And and, and, and it dovetails into the question of, of racism in football itself, right? But going back, an important qualifier about Diego Forlan. Diego Forlan was neither Nacional or Peñarol. Diego Forlan found his his height uh, uh, where he was recognized was at Independiente in, in Argentina. But I think his dad was Nacional. If he, uh, no, his dad was Peñarol. I can't tell. Somebody has to help me on this one. But anyways, uh, go ahead. But is that one. is that... Uh, is that indicative of the strength of the league? Is that a lot of your wine players would end up finding themselves, like, at least more recently? I, wouldn't, I, I don't want to say more recently, but would these players tend to find themselves uh, growing in Argentina and Brazil and in other places in South America versus growing in no, Uruguay? No, it, the, the fabric of Uruguay is football. Uh, and uh, they they come out uh, out of the system of Uruguay, and that has to be really pointed out. Uruguay is a factory when it comes to footballers. Let me point this out: those two teams, Nacional and Peñarol, have won 96 out of the 115 Uruguayan Premier Division t- titles. So I think that's dominance, right? But they've also won many international tournaments, including the combined eight Copa Libertadores between the two teams. The first meeting of the two teams was actually at the turn of the century. They've also won six intercontinental cups between the two of them. This is a small country where two teams rank among the five top teams in the world, okay? And this isn't going. Let me give you a brief rundown of the two clubs themselves, their history. Peñarol, known as those Carbaneros or Aurineros, the black and gold, uh, they're actually referred to as the Manjas, which we'll talk about later, what, why that thing is. Uh, they're from Montevideo. The name Peñarol comes from a neighborhood on the outskirts of Montevideo. Uh, it actually goes back to an Italian city called Pignarolo, which is outside of Turin, and uh, that's that's where it got its name. Um, throughout its history, the club has also participated in other sports, such as basketball and cycling. And that's another important thing, because they're more sporting organizations than they were just football clubs. But of course, football is, is number one. They Peñarol's never been relegated from the top division. Uh, in international competition, Peñarol is the third highest Copa Libertadores winner with five victories and shares the record uh, for Intercontinental Cups for three. Okay, In September 2009, the club, ready for this, was chosen as the South American Club of the Century Okay, by uh, uh, the, uh, the Sports Writers Association. Guess which club was picked third? 
Nacional. Okay, so that gives you an indication of big, how big uh, they are. Also, Peñarol has a thriving women's football team. Okay, and I don't also believe that, that Nacional is one too. Well, we've seen that. Uruguay yeah. just recently held the, the women's U20 World Cup. Cup. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the the railway club and the, the you know, cricket clubs are very important in stimulating the practice of football. They're also male sports. Um, uh, they uh, they come from these little kind of like workers uh, organizations, which is also very important. Um, the club's first president was an Englishman by the name of Frank Henderson, who remained there for a very long time. And they actually still called their, their academy the Frank Henderson School. Um, they shifted, again, from cricket to football. Um, we can actually look at their honors. 50 Uruguayan championships, three intercontinental championships, 61, 66, 82. They actually beat, okay, the Real Madrid of Di Stefano, Pushkas. Okay, uh, in one of those intercontinental cups, uh, five com uh, Copa Libertadores. Okay, and there's a whole range. If you actually look up on, on Wikipedia, there's a whole range of you because know, South Americans have all these wild tournaments. They've won all kinds of tournaments. Uh, we've talked about the fact that they were considered their uh, the, the club of the century with Nacional uh, as third, Independiente second, River fourth. Olympia from Paraguay, which goes to, there are so many clubs that actually exist over there. Uh, we should even talk about one of these days, actually about Chilean football, because uh, there are like these little small clubs called Palestino, which was made up by Palestinian immigrants. But I, sorry, I'm diverging. I get excited. Nacional's history. They're founded in 1899 as a fusion between the Uruguayan Athletic Club versus the Montevideo Football Club. Its main focus, of course, became football, even though they, they do things such as basketball, tennis, cycling, volleyball, and get this, chess, okay? Um, uh, domestic tournaments, they've won the Premier Division 46 times. They've won three Copa Libertadores tournaments. They also became the, the three-time Intercontinental Championship. The last one was won in 1988. Nacional is identified with the white, blue, and red, inspired by the flag of Uruguay's national hero, Artigas, Jose Artigas. And the club, now both teams shared the Centenario, which is the famous stadium, but now they've actually gone back to stadiums, whereas Peñarol has built their own stadium. We talked about it in the last part about all these clubs being rebranded. This whole thing of being the club of the century, uh, it, it, you can see this happening. And uh, they've actually... Um, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Nacional has gone back to the Park Central, which is actually in another neighborhood called La Blanqueda. Now, Nacional, again, as, like I said, is the, is the, the fusion of the two, uh, of uh, the Uruguayan uh, Athletic Club and the Montevideo Football Club. We talked about its flag. Uh, look at its honors. Uh, 46 Premier Division titles, three Copa Libertadores, three Intercontinental Cups, and then a range of other trophies. Um, they start developing their players very early in the 19th century. And, uh, I mean, it is just amazing the litany of great football players that come out of these two clubs. I won't get in it because the list is just too long to get into. Uh, the, the imitable writer Eduardo Galliano documented the passion of the Super Classical uh, in his celebrated work called Soccer in Sun and Shadow. 
Uh, he described the animosity between Nacional and Peñarol fans by saying in Montevideo, fans say either I'm Nacional or I'm Peñarol. They are the clubs, they feel them, they breathe them, he says. They live every moment with them, the pain, the ecstasy, the rivalry. In his text, Gualiano quotes that he is a Nacional fan, and he says, for me, just the sight of a Peñarol shirt makes me sick. He goes, I want them to lose every time, even against foreigners, okay? Uh, Galliano offers the concept of the fanatic, you know, one that personifies this kind of national Peñarol rivalry. Uh, to them, it's just not about winning, but it's about uh, the other team losing. Okay, <laughs> and uh, you know, when they when they play, uh, trust me, uh, it, 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 the country almost comes to a, a standstill. Uh, the rivalry remains very very strong. I just wanted to talk about the nicknames. Uh, there's three nicknames by which any fan will happily identify, like their counterpart. One of them is the for Peñarol is the black and gold or the Auri Negro. The second nickname is the Carbonero, which means the coal man, which comes from the railway heritage of shoveling coal into the locomotives. The third nickname, Manja, has its bizarre uh, origins in, uh, in all of sports. The famous striker Carlos Carone once returned from a stint after playing with Boca Juniors in Argentina, and he signed for Nacional. And when his father, was an, who was an ardent Peñarol supporter, asked him, why didn't he go to Peñarol? He responded by saying, why would I play for a team to eat shit? Uh, for Scarone, the son of, of an Italian immigrant, to eat shit came out of manja merda, okay? And it was corrupted to be manja, okay, which basically means that the, the, the Peñarol, they eat football, right? Uh, but now it's a pejorative, right? Whereas the, the, the Nacional fans, they're referred to as el bolso, the pockets. And the pockets, because they had a pocket on their jersey, but also because they were the elites and they were considered rich. And the bolso means the deep pockets, because that's what they would buy these players, right? Now, again, we talked about this idea of them playing both at the Centenar. In, in terms of the fan base, Peñarol has this kind of st slight statistical uh, edge, depending on who's doing the polling, of course. 46% uh, of the Uruguayan fans say that they're for Peñarol, while 35 are for Nacional. The six are for the what they call the Il Cuadros Chicos, which means small clubs. Now, that is to say that between Nacional and Peñarol, essentially 93% of the fans support a club in Uruguay that's, that's either one of these two. Um, now, uh, Peñarol also comes out in all the demographic categories. They have a relative advantage, uh, essentially, when it comes to the, 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 the wisdom. Uh, uh, people will, 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 will freak out because, uh, uh, of course, you know, there's this divide of class, right? Whereas Peñarol is considered the, the people's club, Nacional is considered the elite club. But nonetheless, uh, this defines essentially the, the, the fabric of the rivalry. And it is severe. Uh, I want to make a note about what they call the Cuadros Chicos, or the small clubs. They constitute every other professional club in the country in the top two divisions. And there's a total of 29 clubs in this very small country, most of them based out of, out of the majority of them based out of Montevideo. Um, there's like, you know, there's Nacional Peñarol and there's 27 Cuadros Chicos. Um, uh, Nacional and Peñarol are essentially the national clubs, while the Chicos are either uh, the neighborhood or departmental, like county clubs. Um, the difference is kind of big. 
I mean, it, it's like it's like the only thing I can think of is like it's like watching Ohio State and Michigan, you know, play their college football plays. But it would be like the equivalent of having Ohio State and Michigan universities play against high school teams. Okay, so that's kind of like the way it would be, right? Uh, and these guys, I mean, uh, holy mackerel, the fanaticism around these small clubs is unbelievable. Just to give you an idea, Phoenix, which is traditionally a mid-table club in the Capuro neighborhood, this is how poor they are. They actually use plastic deck chairs for the players' bench, okay? Rampala Juniors have one of the most spectacularly relocated uh, stadiums in the world, yet uh, they, they actually have uh, cows grazing in the training field. Because uh, if you know anything about Uruguay, their, their major export is beef, essentially, right? But for the most part, every team seems to play in, in, in Centenario, okay? Now, uh, I mean, I just want to kind of like talk this off. Like, I'm trying to make this short. Um, in Uruguay, the phrase, again, cuadros chico goes beyond football. It's a way of saying underdog in any context. Uruguay itself is considered in cuadros chico, the, the national team in a big, bad world, especially a big, bad world of FIFA, okay, which also explains why many Uruguayans support the big two. Uh, much like La Celeste, Nacional and Peñarol have achieved incredible success on the international stage. One of the things I always want to say is that Brazil and Argentina always beat the big European powerhouses, the England, the English, the Spanish, the Italians, the French, the Germans. But... When Brazil and Argentina go back home, they always struggle against Uruguay, okay? And you have to ask yourself why. And that's because Uruguay is essentially a powerhouse, okay? For the Manjas and the Bolsos, uh, seeing each other's names on the picture list is, is just, it's not just the a, a, a question of competition. People have described it as being a coping mechanism. Okay, a piece of grandeur to cling to, cling to amongst uh, this kind of global insignificance outside of soccer, right? This little country, essentially, is, you know, uh, it's only three million, and a million and a half live in the capital city. And you can't stress enough how, in a country where the majority of already the small population lives around one city, that this kind of like Peñarol, Nacional, Nexus dominates, Okay. And there's other clubs which are unbelievable. Listen to some of these names. Liverpool, Everton, okay? That's like, you know, they have names. They literally have those names, right? Uh, the City Derby is kind of a misnomer because, um, you know, uh, in most places where cities have a natural hinterland, uh, except in Uruguay, the city is the central of everything, right? Um I think that what what needs to be basically uh, stressed here is that this football rivalry ranks, in my opinion, higher than the Celtic Rangers Derby, higher than the Boca River Derby, higher than the Roma Lazio Derby. And uh, I would even say to me, for South Americans, it ranks as high as the Real Madrid Barcelona Classico. Um, But... Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, and uh, that pretty much sums up my survey. I mean, there is so much I could have done here today, but I just figured that this was just a little bit of a taste or the thin edge of the wedge for people to begin to understand the, the importance of football, not just to countries, small countries like Uruguay. I mean, this discussion exists uh, 
in, in, in the smallest regions and the smallest areas of the world, man. I was just in England uh, for three weeks at Christmas time, and I witnessed firsthand the rivalry between Morricone, which is like gacho, okay, versus, uh, versus Coppercliff that in, in Sudbury. If you're from Sudbury, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it was like, it's like two neighborhoods going on there. I, I watched Morecambe and Carlisle United, and it was unbelievable, the rivalry that exists. And I think that this is what we're trying to get across. We talked in the last pod about these mega clubs, and, you know, this is the thing, you know, these small clubs. Steve, you have... A, 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 a soft spot for these small clubs back in Manchester. Do you want to tell us about maybe some uh, uh, something that you uh, find uh, uh, the equivalent of, or something that's very similar that that really tugs at your heartstrings? Derby rivalry wise, or just really? Anything? Or just a small club? I mean, FC United. Yeah, well, we we brought up looking for Eric in in our last podcast, right? And um, a team like that is really fan owned, and they're going against kind of what has happened with the ownership of Manchester United, right? And in that in that documentary, they get angry at this this young guy who just is like, "I'm going to support FC United of Manchester," and uh, there are opportunities. I guess if you're if you live in these locales, there are opportunities to to support not just the big club that is in your town, but there are these small clubs that that you can support as well, who probably need the support more than yeah more than the big clubs do because like tickets ticket sales don't really mean much anymore. Ticket sales used to be the gate receipts were were the money were the money no, and it's not the- now. It doesn't really matter. It's, Although you, you could ask Arsenal, and that's where they collect a lot of their money from. Yeah. But that's rising ticket prices might be something else to talk about on a different pod. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah, I have a real quick question for you. Um, we no longer have a club here in Ottawa. We do this season. So they actually won their fight uh, at the Court for Arbitration for Sports. So they do get to play in the USL this season, uh, but they will be playing in the CPL eventually. So. Do you think we can basically begin become Ottawa Fury fans? No. No, why not? Because I'm a transplant to this city, right? Like I'm yeah. still going to support I'm not from Toronto, but like it's the it's the closest local club that that I could have yeah. supported at the time. So and, and I was there in those down years. We, well we were both we both were. We were there when it felt like you were going to church on Sunday and the place was just quiet. Um, but we've been there when it got loud too. Yeah. So, see, I see. I, I actually, I, I, I will go you, you further. I will go further. Change, you can't change. You know. Yeah, well, what is it? What is it? You, uh, Eric Cantona says something like, "You can, you can change your wife. You can change your job, but you can't change your club." It's interesting you say this because growing up in Sudbury, there was actually a little bit of a club structure. Okay, and uh, there were clubs like the Italia Flyers, Croatia Adria, the Polish White Eagles. Uh, there was even a team called Ebony United, which was made up of West Indian players. And like, this is the kind of stuff that I wish I would see more of, you know? Well, I think there are, it's, it's just not easy to, to really find now, right? You just find now it's just a group of guys that join a, like a Tuesday night, yeah. play at 11 p.m. league versus, you know, games that you can actually go out and watch. Whereas like in Sudbury, 
think suddenly the conditions were right for that to happen. Right? A lot of immigration. Same and, thing, and you, yeah. But, and you had those like neighborhoods where everyone kind of situated themselves. Exactly. Whereas like where I'm from, it's white. It's hella white. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I we mean, saw with hockey. Yeah. Hockey. It yeah, happened, it's the same right? thing. Yeah, but so, I mean, it's interesting that you know it's funny that, that we're here. We are talking about Peñarol Nacional in Uruguay. And we kind of veer into the discussion of like clubs and Sudbury of all things. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is where it takes me, right? I mean, this is where I mean the logical discussion of this takes me is that I, I think that the real kind of resistance to what is going on is to go local and is to to, to the connection between place. So, you know, it's something for you guys to consider. I don't know. What do you think? Let us know. Yeah. Great pod, as always, Julian. Thanks Thank you, for, my friend. Thanks for giving us a great presentation on, on two teams that we should know a lot more about, but we don't, don't get too many opportunities to hear about them. Although Sportsnet historically has played games from Chile, Uruguay. Sometimes you can find them, but, yeah. uh, but I digress. Again, thank you all for listening in. Uh, really really enjoyed this podcast. It was great to, to learn something about a league that, uh, and two teams you don't hear about, but really deserve a lot more recognition. Um, we'll be back, uh, next week with, a with another review show as always. Uh, and if you have a topic for us that you'd like us to like us to talk about, or you'd like everybody to learn more about, and you want to participate, tweet at us, send us a message on Facebook, post, uh, or post on our page. And, uh, we're always looking for suggestions. So thanks for listening.